Shalom, Mishpokah. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk, Personal Spiritual Growth. Number three, Slashan Hara, the evil tongue that's gossip to embarrass people, even in jest, or to tell embarrassing things about them when they are not present and before other people. Number four, Lashon Hara is not limited to verbal communications. The written word, body language, innuendos, and the like can also be hurtful. It's Lashon Hara's gossip to speak against a community, race, ethnic group, gender, or age group as a whole. Number six, do not relate Lashon Hara or gossip even to your spouse, close friends, or relatives. Don't repeat it or you're guilty of it. Number seven, do not repeat Lashon Hara even when it is common knowledge. Number eight, avoid gossip. Do not relate to people negative things others may say about them, for this may cause needless conflict. And number nine, do not listen to Lashon Hara. Don't listen to gossip. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Let's move on. Number five are the things that undercut the anointing. Not being connected. It's the lone wolf syndrome. I've done that, confessed it, and worked it out myself. I've had that just 30 years ago. We don't need congregations. Uh, you know, me and God, we got this. However, it says in Hebrews, not to forgo the attending together of your regular services. James 5.16 says, therefore, openly acknowledge your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This can only take place in a kehelet and a congregational setting. Hebrews 10, verses 24, 25, and let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So in the community, in the group, that, that we encourage each other, we spur each other on to even greater love, even better deeds, even more intimacy with Adonai. Steel sharpens steel. Verse 25, it says, not neglecting our own congregational meetings have some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. The enemy will do everything in their power to keep you out of a congregational setting. So many people have been offended, but remember, a mature believer can't be offended. But people become offended. They get hurt. Something uh, incredibly shameful was said to them when they were in a church or a Messianic synagogue, and now they've got pain in their heart. They've got unforgiveness. And so now they think they can do this without anybody else, without a congregation. But in reality, that's not true. It's gathering together in fellowship. It's coming together as one in Messiah Yeshua. It's acknowledging your sins one to another in that group setting. It's coming together to spur each other on. Accountability, fellowship, and love in the group. Listen, this COVID has been terrible on fellowship. So many people have been... um, estranged and they're, they're locked down and quarantined in their homes. And, uh, and we know that mental illness is going through the roof. We know that drug and alcohol abuse is going through the roof. We need contact. Human beings need fellowship. We need contact. We need touch with each other. It's well known that a baby when born, if it doesn't have the physical contact of human love, that baby can die. We are created to fellowship. We're created in his image. He created us to fellowship with him. So this is critical to not become that lone wolf syndrome and not get estranged from a congregational setting, but to come together and be one together in a congregation setting. There are three things that increase God's presence. Number one is forgiveness. Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. This is incredibly power. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, 
we see this. We just came and celebrated Yom Kippur in, six weeks ago. I have so many people share with me, well, you know, Rabbi, I was waiting for so-and-so to come and apologize to me. May never happen. You have to release those things. You have to lay them on the altar. You have to forgive. And when you forgive, you forget it. You let it go. Because if you don't forgive your offenses, your heavenly father will not forgive yours. What a standard we see that Yeshua gives us in Matthew 6. In Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22, Peter comes up to Yeshua. And then Peter came and said to him, Rabbi, how often can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? And I'm sure Peter thought this was a staggering number. I'm sure he thought he was going to get a pat on his back for this. But Yeshua replies, no, not seven times, answered Yeshua, but 70 times seven. And so this is indicative of the kingdom of God and what Yeshua desires is that we forgive others. We forgive all offenses. We forgive those who have hurt us. Listen, there's a misnomer here. It doesn't mean that you have to be that person's best friend. It doesn't mean you're gonna hang out and go to the mall together, go catch a movie together. Forgiving means you let it go, that you not get this um, connection to it of you will get caught in that trap of unforgiveness, which is a sin. Next you can do is walk in love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, there are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I love to share this, that when you read 1 Corinthians 13, listen, I've probably done 40 or 50 weddings in the last 20 years, and uh, to be honest with you, probably two-thirds of those I read from 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. But when Paul wrote this, he's wrote writing this to the congregation in Corinth, which is a Messianic synagogue comprised of Jew and Gentiles in the diaspora, just like all of our congregations here in America, just like Congregation Zion's sake here in Newport News. And what he's writing is that we have to love each other in the congregation. He's not writing this for a wedding for two people to, uh, that are reciting nuptials together. He's writing to, this, to the Messianic congregation in Corinth that love, love doesn't uh, retain grudges. L- love covers many sins. He's talking about in the body of Messiah, we have to walk in love, love each other. And of all these things, love endures. The greatest of these is love. It's That will put down uh, inequality. That will put down racism. That will put down racial injustice. If we love each other and love our neighbors as ourselves. we've got to get back to this core tenet from the word of God and see it across our nation and in this world. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, I, the prisoner united with the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love, and making every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit gives through the binding power of shalom. And this term shalom is what we see in Ephesians 2 when it says that Yeshua came to tear down the middle wall of partition, the mechitza between Jew and Gentile, and thus make those two people groups one new man, thus giving us shalom. That Greek word is irene. It means a state of national tranquility. We must be humble, gentle, patient, and bear with one another in love. Love preserves the unity of the spirit that will give us national, national, are you getting this? National peace, a state of tranquility. Number three, speaking life, not death. Speaking positive, vice critical. If you haven't noticed, look on the TV 
look on the, uh, the streaming sources, there's a preoccupation and infatuation with death. We have all these zombie Draculas. Uh, God is not the God of the dead. Adonai is the God of the living. We must speak life, not death. Deuteronomy 30, verses 14 through 15. On the contrary, the word is very close to you. It's in your mouth, even in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. Verse 15 says, look, I'm presenting you today with, on the one hand, life and good. On the other, death and evil. We must choose life. It's a choice. James 3, verses 8 through 10. But the tongue no one can tame. It is an unstable and evil thing, full of death-dealing poison. With it, we bless Adonai, the Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing, brothers, it isn't right for things to be this way. We must keep improving. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, it says, Now every athlete in training submits himself to strict discipline, and he does it just to win a laurel wreath that will soon wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. Our society suffers from destination disease. Too many people want to do just enough of what's required to arrive, then retire. Kevin Meyer states, Everyone is looking for a quick fix, but what they really need is fitness. People who look for fixes stop doing what's right when pressure is relieved. People who pursue fitness do what they should no matter what the circumstances are. Progress is more important than perfection. God wants you to grow in him. And when you grow in him, your ability to lead and draw others to him will increase. God is more concerned with what you're becoming vice what you're doing. People who are constantly improving People who are constantly improving themselves make three processes an ongoing part of their life. You're going to love this. Number one, preparation. When individuals are intentional about learning something every day, then they become better prepared to handle whatever challenges they meet. Daily, this is the most critical thing you can do, not only in your walk with God and spiritual growth, but in developing your leadership skills. Everything you need for success, every example can be found in Scripture. Daily devotions, reading the word every day, like a pianist playing scales, every sports star practicing, they all have coaches. This even folds into end-time eschatology. You've got to read, read, read. Listen, some of the biggest money makers in the NBA aren't the guys that are seven foot eight. They're not your guards, they're not the rebounders, but it's that person that can habitually shoot those baskets from the three point line. And how do you do that? These are people who do it three, four, five, six hours a day again and again and again and again and again. No matter what storms come, no matter what you face, if you're in the word every day, and personally, the first thing I do in the morning is I get out of bed, I pour my cup of coffee, I sit down, and I spend an hour and a half to two hours with the Lord. I read, I do my devotions, I do my journaling, I contemplate, I pray. What you start your day with, what you fill yourself, is what will come out the rest of the day. Now, I know some people aren't morning people. I know some people are afternoon people. I know some people are evening people. Listen, there's no condemnation here. If you do it in the evening, you know, young families, you've got little kids, sometimes you can't do it until after they go to bed. That's your quiet time. That's fine. The point being here is that you've got to do it every day. This has to be disciplined. I do this day in, day out. When I travel, no matter where I'm at in the world, I start my every morning, I start my day with Adonai. 
I start my day immersing myself in his word. I start my day by praying to him in Yeshua's name and thanking him and praising him and honoring him. This is some, listen, Coach Mack told me years ago, he gets up at four o'clock and he still does this today. This is Coach Mack, Coach McCartney from Promise Keepers. Seven days a week, he gets up at four o'clock in the morning and spends two to three hours before the king in the throne room. He told me, Rabbi, I don't want yesterday's manna. I want the fresh bread from heaven every day. Do you? Number two, contemplation. Time, is, uh, time alone is essential to self-improvement. It allows you to gain perspective on your failures and successes so that you can learn from them. Listen, we all fail. No one thinks that you're gonna be perfect, but we learn from those failures and improve ourselves so it doesn't happen again. Self-contemplation, time alone, gives you the time and space to sharpen and focus on your relationship with God. That Satar, as Psalms 139 says, to draw into that secret place. I'm sorry, Psalms 91, to draw into that secret place with him that you can receive his vision and it enables you to plan for and be ready for the future when you hear his voice and have that intimate relationship with him, but you've got to spend time with him. Contemplation isn't you praying for things. Contemplation isn't pouring out your heart to him. Contemplation is that quiet time to hear his still, small voice that he can communicate directly with you. Number three is application. Musician Bruce Springsteen said, a time comes when you need to stop waiting for the man you want to become and start being the man you want to be. In other words, you've got to apply what you're learning in these things and make them manifest in your life. You've got to deal with the dross. The Lord gave me a download years ago about this. There's individual hindrances that are holding people back, holding individuals back from the fullness of God's glory. Listen, I don't know if this is you or not, but I'm just going to read them, and I want you to ponder this as we come to a close in this. These are things that hold back his presence. First one is pride, haughtiness. The next one is smoking, addictions, Things that Paul said, all things are allowable, not all things are acceptable. I've shared this before in a congregation. I smoked a pack, half a pack of cigarettes a day for almost 20 years. When I was in the military, everybody did it. It's what we did. And that right there was one of the hardest things. I took it to the Lord, took it on the altar. I said, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm begging you in Yeshua's name, take it from me. Instantly, it was gone. It didn't take weeks. I didn't need patches. He took it from me instantly. So what am I conveying? Well, I know a lot of people that enjoy a good cigar now and then. I don't think that's an issue. But they'll ask me, hey, Rabbi, you want a cigar? I tell them, uh, I, I, no, I can't. And they look at me like, oh, okay, you're one of those guys. Says, no, you don't understand. I, the minute I put that in my mouth and light it, I'll be going right down to 7-Eleven and getting a pack of Marble Lights. It's one of my weaknesses. I know that. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't hang out in a bar. And so these are those addictions is what holds back the presence of God. They're hindrances. Pornography. We, we have a plague in America today of pornography. We've got an entire new set of psychological dysfunctions that young men can't have normal relationships with women because they're glued, they are addicted to pornography and seeing things that people didn't even know existed just 15 or 20 years ago. This is a 
trillion dollar industry. And the sin of America is we're the main exporters of this around the world. If you're dabbling in pornography, you know, statistics tell us in the last 30 days, a third of those who are clergy have dabbled in pornography. This has got to stop. It's hindering God. Next is control. If you're in control, God's not. You've got to lay it all down so he can pick it up. He's sovereign. He is Lord. He will guide you. But if you're doing it, he's not. That means you're getting the praise and the glory. He is not. Self-righteousness is a hindrance. We get self-righteous. Oh, just like the guy, um, uh, the Pharisee, he says, well, you know, I thank you that I, I pay my tithes and I honor you. But that tax collector beat his breast and said, I'm such a sinner. We have to be like that. We can't be that self-righteous Pharisee. We have to humble, have a humble and contrite heart and know that, yes, we are part of the fallen humanity. But realizing this allows us to repent and seek daily, daily restoration with Adonai. You have to give up offense. Offense is one of the biggest hindrances. I know we talked about this earlier in an unforgiveness. Both these hold back and prevent the manifestation of the presence of God and the fullness of your success in the kingdom. These are just a short list. I'm sure there's more, but this is what was on my heart. You've got to release these. You've got to hone your skills. You've got to draw closer to God. And in this, you will grow as a supernatural leader in the kingdom of God. Mishpachah. I pray this has touched your heart today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.